0: Let us open up our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. It is our sermon series for the second service by God's grace. First service is going through John verse by verse, and we had a wonderful time there. Please check out that message. And then uh, today we're going to Hebrews chapter 1. It's a new series for us. And if you remember last week, I had a little uh, mistake. I'll be clarifying that today. And boy, doesn't God have a way of humbling us. How many of you have been humbled by the Lord? And it's not for your, your shame. It's not to hurt you. It's to bless you. And so in the first service, I was quoting my favorite passage out of the Bible, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, messed it up, and I went back to see what happened. It was totally my fault. And then last week, if I was going to have a second favorite part of the Bible, it would be Hebrews chapter 1, and I got a little bit out there from my own studies, and I said something that was incorrect, and I have since corrected it by Facebook, so always follow me online if you can, and I'll be quick to do it. My dad, after I explained it to him, said, I still don't understand what you did wrong, but I trust you, and that got is to you, And then he said, hey, did anybody point it out to you? Because I don't like when they do that to the preacher. I said, no, nobody caught me. But if they do, that's okay, Dad. My dad's old school in the church, though. But he was like, I don't like when they tell the preacher they did something wrong. God will tell them. But you guys have permission to do that here. As long as you do it nice and not sassy, amen? Maybe over a red lobster dinner. Pastor, I just want to share how you could do this better as I'm eating a lobster. Half kid, half kid. Okay, let's go to Hebrews uh, chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, I'm going to read all 14 verses because it is powerful in its context, and then we'll go verse by verse through it. Today's part three. Maybe we can finish this chapter today. We'll see by God's grace. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Think burning bushes, think dreams and visions and so forth. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by His Son, think about the incarnation of Jesus, whom He appointed heir of all things and through whom also He made the universe. So understand that even though Jesus incarnated, came into flesh, that's what that means, Uh, He came into flesh at the time that we would celebrate Christmas or His birth. That doesn't mean that's when He was created. He has existed in eternity past. Verse 3, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being sustaining all things by his powerful word. How many want to learn a Greek word today? You want to learn a few of you? Okay, everybody say charitar. And what English word does that sound like? Character. That is the Greek word for representation. Character. He is, Jesus, the exact representation of the Father. And that means in that context that the signet ring pressed into the the wax leaves the exact representation of the ring in the wax. That is what the Son is when we see Him. He is one with the Father. If you've seen Him, you've seen the character, the representation of the Father. Though they are not the same person, the Son represents him perfectly. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Thank you. So the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. After He had provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. After the resurrection, He ascends to heaven, sits at the right hand of the Father. So He became as much superior to the angels as the name He has inherited is superior to theirs. And what is His name? Jesus. Yahweh saves. So the son took on a name, Jesus. The son has always existed as the son. That has been a name. But then he takes on a name for us that is not just a son. It is now Yahshua saves. Yeshua, Jesus. Which also, if you skip the Greek, is Joshua. Okay? So I know it would change all of our worship songs singing, Joshua, holy and anointed. Like that would be weird, right? But it's actually only through the Greek that we get Jesus, okay? It goes Yahshua in Hebrew, then Isus in Greek, and then we get the J eventually from the I, and then we get Jesus. But if you went directly from the Hebrew to the English, it would be Joshua. But it still means the same exact thing. Yahshua, Jesus, Jesus, uh, Isus, uh, Jesus. It all means Yeshua saves, or Yahweh saves, rather. Amen? Amen. So let's not get hung up on that. Now, notice here, the angel distinction is brought up. This is where we're going to spend our time today in part three. If you want to hear all the previous verses and the things that we had to say about them, those are in parts one and two. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father? Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. Verse six. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Verse 7, in speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. How many are glad you got some flames of fire following you today? Amen. But about the Son, he says, your throne, O God. Now, who is speaking when he says about the Son? Who is the one speaking here? God, the Father. And he says, your throne, speaking about the Son, O God will last forever and ever. So here the Father, God, calls the Son, God. Oftentimes, people get confused and say, only the Son calls the Father God. No, the Father calls the Son God. Your throne, O God, speaking of the Son, the Father speaking of the Son, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. God the Son has a God, God the Father. You notice this is what the Jehovah Witnesses always bring up. How can Jesus be God if he has a God? Have you ever heard them say that? Maybe they don't sound that way, but that's the way I think they sound. Okay. In Revelation, it says, I'm going to your God and to my God, you know, um, you know, in the book of John, rather. Look it up where it says, I'm going to my God and your God. I believe it's in the book of John. And then in Revelation, he says, it's my God and your God, okay? And so they get so confused. How can God have a God? Well, how? just uh, go up to the previous verses there of that, of that quotation. How could the Father say of someone else, your God? So they refer to each other as God. There's nothing wrong with that. The Father refers to the Son as God, and and God the Son refers to the Father as God. Father refers to the Son as God, Son refers to the Father as God. You're going to get tripped up in your theology if you don't understand that they can talk to each other as God. Can I hear an amen? Okay, have you found it in John, my God and your God? No, 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 no. When he says, I'm going to my God and your God. Look it up for me. You'll find it in the book of John and in Revelation, please. Now, notice what he says in verse 10. He also says, who is the speaker here saying things? Oh, you all got quiet on me. It's the same one talking. It's the same one talking. John what? John 20, 17. Let's just go to that quickly so everybody can see it. Go to John 20:17 where Jesus says, I'm going to my God and to your God. Never feel uncomfortable with Jesus talking about a God. He's not an atheist, Amen. I said Jesus is not an atheist. Jesus believes in God. He talks to his God. The Father is also not an atheist. He talks to God as God as well. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father. And your Father to who? My God and your God. Find that same reference in Revelation 2. That's the one they always like to go to. Now go back to Hebrews. Okay? Who is speaking in the previous verses? Go up, please, my brother, to round verse 6 or, uh, yeah, verse 8. No, verse 7. Go to verse 6. Go all the way up. I want you guys to see it's the same person, okay? Again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, who is speaking in verse 6? God. Somebody say, God. Don't go ahead of yourself now. Just use what's in the context of the scripture, amen? I'm not ever going to trick you. I'm always going by the context. You can infer the Trinity in other titles later. I'm just asking you by the context. In verse 6, who is speaking? God. Verse 7, in speaking of the angels, he says, who is the he? It's still God. The, the person talking has not changed, has it? I mean, look at the reference. The reference says he's talking this way. He's talking that way. It's the he has not changed from the reference you were given in verse 6. Okay? Now to verse 8. But about the son, he says. Who is speaking? God. We know it as God. We're going we're to describe it as the father later. But just who is speaking in verse 8? About the son, he says. Who is the he? God. Thank you. Your throne, O oh God. So God, the Father, speaks of the Son and calls him God. What is, the, what is the, uh, the scripture in Revelation? Go to Revelation three twelve, please. So when anybody says to you, if Jesus says, I have a God, therefore he cannot be God, go oompa loompa. This is the King James way of calling them a fool. Oompa loompa. How is then the Father God if he calls the Son God? He, 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 he says, he says, he says, he says. In Hebrews, he says about the Son, your throne, O oh God. If the branch you're sitting on is cut off, you have contradicted yourself. Amen. I always say this to our church, and I say this to our guests today. Do not let anybody put you in a predicament in the Bible when you have the truth. If you don't know everything that I'm saying, that's okay. I went to school, cemetery, I mean seminary to learn these things to teach you, okay? Study them to show yourself approved, okay? The Bible always explains itself. The Bible never contradicts itself, and we have not made up doctrines, okay? We have studied the scriptures and came up with the teachings of God, okay? These are the teachings that you live by. This is not therapeutic deism. My job on Sunday is not just to tell you how to do things to have a happier life, though I think I can, and I think we do that a lot here, but it's also to teach a doctrine, amen? Which the Bible says people won't want to hear, but they want to hear their ears tickled. This is not ear-tickling preaching. I'm teaching you the Word. What is the context or uh, the verse here of Revelation what? the one who is victorious, I will make a pillar, Jesus speaking, red letters helping you out there, in the temple of what? My God. Oh, so Jesus has a God. Oh, he can't be God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of what? My God. You want him to be an atheist? Come on now. And the name of the city of what? My God. Okay. So if they say Jesus cannot be God because Jesus calls the Father my God, what are you going to say to them in Hebrews? The Father, God, calls the Son God. Is he not God? Hello? Go back to Hebrews, please. When you look at this context, it's beautiful. But about the Son, he says, who is the he speaking? God, the Father. We know that's the Father because it's referenced in other places, but now we're just taking it from its context. God says about the Son, your throne, O God. Okay, and we've already read that. Now go to verse 10. Who is speaking? Once again, Bible class, who is speaking in verse 10? Amen. If you want this to be a faster Bible class, answer that way next time. Amen? Because this is where I had to pause and rewind, okay? Verse 10 is still the same speaker. Who is speaking? God. And what does he say? In the beginning, Lord. So he's both God and Lord. Both God and Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. Hebrews is teaching us, the Father says about him, he is God. The Father says about him, he is Lord. In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. In the book of Hebrews, we will learn later on... Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Verse 13, to which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? That verse is the most quoted verse in the New Testament, become very Familiar with Psalm 110. It is one of the scriptures that Jesus used to stump the Jews. Sadly, most of you would not be able to explain even why Jesus used it. You need to understand why Jesus used it. You need to understand why the apostles used it. You need to understand why this is such a popular verse. If we have time today, by God's grace, we will get into it. And then verse 14: Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Can I hear an amen? Amen. Now, going up to verse uh, 4, here is where we need to explain my mistake from last week, okay? We're always growing with the Lord. I wanted you to understand our best guess to why the author of Hebrews starts comparing Jesus to an angel. That's the, 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 the rabbit trail that I went on. I didn't even have it in the notes. It was just something I wanted to share with you guys. Like, why doesn't he start comparing, himself to other, uh, comparing Jesus to other things? You know, why doesn't he compare him to humans? Why doesn't he compare him to prophets? Why does he start comparing him to an angel? Now, our best guess to why he's comparing Jesus to an angel is because the Jews knew of the figure known as the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord, angel just meaning messenger, not winged creature. Winged creatures are seraphim and cherubim, but messenger angels, angels that are messengers, Michael and so forth, in the visitors with Abraham on the plains of Mamre, do not come with wings. They look like men. Are you listening to me? They look like people, humans, okay? And so they understood that among these angels, there is a superior angel. There's an angel in charge of all of the angels. There's an angel that Moses said, or that God told Moses would bear the name of God, and if you go against him, you die. That's the death angel that also came on the day of Passover, okay? This angel had a lot of rank and authority. And so it seems like During this time, people began to confuse the nature of Jesus with an angel. The problem was, as I began to rightly point out, the mistake has not come up yet. As I began to rightly point out, is that the angel is actually a title for God. God is actually called the angel. Jesus, the Son, pre-incarnate, is the angel of the Lord, and they worshiped the angel as God, gave him the divine name of God, Yahweh. This angel was prayed to, and this angel was actually worshiped. Now, unless you want to introduce into the patriarchs and into the people of the Bible idolatry and angel worship, you have to now introduce another person into the Godhead. Even Jewish theologians have talked about this, the two powers. There's one that seems to be in heaven, known as God, and then there's a, in Yahweh, and then there's another power on earth, also known as God, also known as Yahweh, the angel, and is worshiped. And so they began to realize these must be either the same person, as a oneness would say, a Trinitarian oneness would say, or it is shape-shifting, one person, you know, being in heaven and on earth at the same time, or they are two different persons of the same God. The same nature of God. Are you listening to me? And so the Jewish people had their own debates among that. And then they were not clear on, uh, this is uh, as they've studied more, on what the Shekinah is, the Shekinah is, the glory, the, fa- uh, the Spirit. The Father sends the Spirit, and the Spirit does all of these wonderful things, so they weren't sure on if that was a third power or what the Spirit was exactly. Now, we as Christians know that the Spirit is also a person, but we get the revelation primarily from the New Testament because we know He's not just a force, He's a person, and the, the, the best teaching of this is in John 14, 15, and 16 where Jesus clearly differentiates himself from the Father and then the Spirit whom he's going to send that will then represent him and the Father. Does everybody get that? Half of you? More of you? Can I hear name? in if all of you get it? Okay. Some of you, I guess. get. Okay, let me just take my time here and explain this to you. The Old Testament Jews were left in mystery. Still today without Christ explaining the mystery, they are in mystery. They're a bit confused. They don't understand how two people named Lord, Yahweh, can be talking to each other. They don't understand how someone can be called God and be on earth, and another one can be called God in heaven, and they're both being worshipped. This confused them. It also was confusing to them what the Shekinah was, what the Shekinah, the glory of God was, fire by day. Uh, You know, cloud by day, fire by night, and all of these things. The New Testament is the revelation of that which was concealed. That which was concealed in the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. Can I hear an amen if you're at least tracking with me? Hebrews now is clarifying to us who Jesus is and his nature and that he's not an angel. Because I have some visitors here and I can see a lot more of you also are confused, I'm going to show you why this is even a problem, okay? Because some of you don't even know that there's multiple people talking to each other as Lord. So let's go to Genesis 18, verse 1. And then you'll begin to get stumped and confused and then hopefully unconfused and learn something. And those who have already learned it will say amen the whole time like they're really smart, right? You'll be the nerds in class. No, it's okay to be a nerd. Look at this. Genesis chapter 18, verse 1. Who appeared to Abraham. Pretty basic. That's Yahweh, right? You show that to your Jehovah's Witness friends. I thought no one can see God. Uh, Moses was told no one can see his face. But here he's just appearing to Abraham chilling, right? And then there's three people there. Go to Genesis 19 in a separate tab, please. Keep them both up so people can see. i got to summarize the whole story. don't have time to read the whole Bible today, but I will summarize in Jesus' name. Amen? And I will talk Italian, and that means fast, okay? I will try not to bring out the Polish and talk confusing, okay? But I'm going to try to talk Italian and talk fast. Notice Genesis 19. The two who? The two what? Two angels arrived at Sodom. Go back to Genesis chapter 18. The Lord appeared to Abraham, and there's three men there. Does everybody see that? I saw or he saw three men standing there. If you just do simple math, if two are angels and the Lord appeared, who is the other man that looks like the person that looks like a man? Who is he? The Lord. So if it says the Lord appeared, it says the Lord appeared. And then there's three people that are there in that kind of conversation. Sometimes people say it's the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's not. It says the Lord appeared, and then it says there's three of them. And then in Genesis 19, the same story, two are now known to be angels. What's the other one? Lord. The other one's the Lord. Now, how do I know that? Keep scrolling down in the story. The angels now leave. Keep scrolling down for me, please. Keep scrolling down. You're going to see him intercede, and he's going to be alone with the Lord. Now, notice this right here. When the men got up to leave, they looked towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, who said? The Lord said, shall I hide this from Abraham? Okay, so now the Lord stays behind with Abraham. Keep on going down to 20 and onward. So now the Lord is talking with them, right? In verse 22, the men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the what? The Lord. Okay, can you trust me that I've read the Bible before? Okay, the Lord appeared. And there's three people there now. The Lord appeared. That's what we hear. And then there's three people. We learn that one of them is the Lord. Two of them is a, our angels. Genesis 19, right? Everybody see that? Moving along. Go to Genesis 19, please, quickly. Keep up with the preacher. Two angels arrived, right? So the Lord stays beside who and talks to him? Abraham. He's hanging out with Abraham. And then two blank go to Sodom and Gomorrah. What are the blank? They are what? Angels. Now go to Genesis 9, uh, 19, 11, okay? The Lord is now done talking to them, and he's done, uh, done talking to Abraham. Now he's going to start judging them, okay? So now, keep scrolling down. It wasn't verse 11. Just keep on scrolling. Keep scrolling for me, please. Keep on going down. Okay, verse 23. I don't know why I thought 11, but verse 23. By that time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land. Verse 24. Then the Lord, who did this? The Lord, the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah. From who? Gomorrah. Out of Where? Out of the heavens. Do you understand the problem that the modern Jew has today? Because they don't accept who Jesus is. They now have their one person of Lord shape-shifting in two different places. This is the same reason why Oneness Pentecostals say that the Father can be speaking up here like a puppet while Jesus is on earth and then shape-shift into a Holy Spirit. They think that's one person just shape-shifting into all of these different persons at the same time. That's not the plain reading of the scripture. This is not... One person shape-shifting into two different places. These are two persons. Do you understand that? These are two persons. One is on the earth. He was with the two angels. He was there with Abraham having the meal. As the two angels leave, he speaks with Abraham face to face, and he allows Abraham to intercede. He then joins those two angels who they wanted to rape. He then joins them and judges Sodom and Gomorrah. But as he begins to judge, he calls upon a Lord, a Yahweh in heaven. And from that Yahweh in heaven, he then brings the judgment. Doesn't that just sound like a picture of Revelation? The son bringing the judgment of the father. But do you see in the context here the terms father and son? No, you don't. Go to Zechariah chapter 3. I can show you this in many places in the Bible, but I'm just going to show it to you a few more times. Just so everybody's on the same page of why Hebrews is the way it is, and then I'll get into the angel discussion, okay? But I just want to show you that this is important to understand. Zechariah is getting a prophecy that comes in a vision. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. So there's this figure there that's called the angel of the what? The angel of who? The Lord. And then there's Satan there, right? Standing at his right hand to accuse him. The Lord. Now listen, who is speaking here? The who? The Lord said to Satan. What does the Lord say to Satan? The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord whom has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you is not this man pointing to the priest Joshua, a burning stick snatched out of the fire. So you now see the Lord rebuking Satan in the name of the Lord. Okay, go up a few verses in chapter 2. In chapter 2, so we're going to go the opposite way you're going. That's going further in chapter 3. Go up further, thank you, to chapter 2. Look at verse 10. Shout and be glad, daughter Zion, for I am coming. I will live among you, declares who? So who's going to come live among them? The Lord, all caps, we know is the divine name of God, Yahweh, Jehovah, depending how you want to pronounce it. Many nations will be joined with who? The Lord in that day. So the Lord says, I'm coming, I'm going to live among you, and many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. I will live among you, and you will know that who? The Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Do you guys see that? So the Lord can send the Lord. But are there two lords in nature? No, it's one nature of Lord shared by two persons. This is where people get confused. They now say, well, you're polytheist. You're like the Mormons. You're believing in multiple gods. No. I believe that the Father can be called Yahweh. I believe that Jesus, the Son, can be called Yahweh. And both of them can communicate with each other. Do you see that? Have I done anything tricky in the scripture? Sometimes people say that the theology of the Trinity is a man-made philosophy. Have I called upon any philosopher to help me understand this? Now, all I have shown you is that up until this point, there are two people... That have personality. When we mean by people, it's not human people. What we mean by is someone who is thinking, acting, has volition of will, has emotion. These two are not the same persons. They are not the same ones interacting with each other. They're not talking to themselves, in other words. They're talking with each other. Can I hear an amen? They're calling upon each other for a power and authority. Sometimes people say we only see the, uh, the son praying to the father for something like that to be done. No, here we see that, that the father and the son work together as a team. We can assume that it's the son calling upon the father in this, but you could also say it's the father calling upon the son because both of them have the same name of Lord. In, one, in other words, it doesn't just go one way from the father to the son, that, that the son depends upon the father. The father could be depending upon the son in some way to go and rebuke Satan and do such and such thing, because they're both Lord, and they're both using the name of Lord, amen? So it's not just certain that it only works one way. Now, when we go back to Hebrews chapter 1, why is this so important? Because when these Jews, and remember, Hebrews is written to Jews. Hebrews chapter 1 in our notes, please. The reason why this is so important, because starting in verse 4, we begin to see the author, who I believe is Paul, begin to say that this one known as the son is superior to the angels. Why even bring that up if you know he's Yahweh? Of course, if the son is Yahweh, he's superior to the angels. That wouldn't be an issue. The problem is, is they began to get confused on the role and the nature of the son because when he was on earth, he always prayed to the father. He depended upon the Father. Remember, he said, I can't do anything unless the Father tells me to do it. He says, the Father is greater than I. He made all of those statements. And so people began to get confused and go, well, maybe he's less than the Father, and he's maybe another God. And we talked about this in weeks past. Let me just put it up there now. Go to Isaiah 43.10, please. So sometimes people try to say, well, then maybe he's just another God. Maybe he was created as another God and that this is like an angel because maybe angels are like gods. And you get into this whole discussion of what power and authority angels have and so forth. But here, one of the most famous scriptures that cults like to use, like the Jehovah Witnesses, you are my witnesses, declares Jehovah, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I chose. See, that's what they like to use. But then they'll go off and say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. They'll then say Jesus is a separate God. But this context where they actually get their name from, to be a witness of Jehovah, which, by the way, I am, and I'm the real one, call me to the stand in Jesus' name, amen, actually says this, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed. So how can you say that Jesus is a God when it says before our Father God there was no God formed and nor will there be one after me. So he's either God like the Father or he's no God at all, right? So the oneness goes, "Hey, I got the solution to your problem. He's just the Father and he appears in different ways." And so one of the oneness guys, he came to me and he said, "Hey, aren't you a father?" And I said, "Yeah." And he said, "Aren't you a son?" And I said, "Yeah." And he said, "Aren't you also a pastor or something else?" Yeah. He said, "That's the same thing with God. He's a father, he's a son, and he's, you know, he's also the Holy Spirit. He can do all these things." And I said, "But guess what? I'm a father, but I'm not my father. I'm a son, but I'm not my son." Just simply whipping those things around real quick like you think you know what you're doing. You need to stop and use your old thinker for a minute. The father is a father in ways, and so is the son. The son is called in Isaiah 9, 6, everlasting father. But that doesn't mean he's the father in this person just because they share attributes of fatherhood. How does the father share an attribute of of fatherhood with the son? The nature that they create, that they preserve, that they command, that, that they, they have the family of God under their authority. But that doesn't, just because my son one day becomes a father, that doesn't mean he becomes me as a father, like the father, like Joe. I'm, I'm now my father, uh, dad, Joe, I'm him. No, you're not. You're just me in nature, like a father. And so people get so confused when the Bible is speaking clearly to us that there's multiple persons that share the same nature, and they're talking with each other. And then now we get to this understanding of angel. Now, where would this confusion come from? Still haven't gotten to my mistake yet. We'll get there in just a moment. Go to um, Genesis chapter 48, verse 15. Maybe the visitors are saying, like, I can't wait till we get to his mistake because he seems like a know-it-all. I'm I'm glad he's wrong sometimes because it's hard to follow, honestly. Are you keeping up with him? No, you guys are doing fine, right? Look at Genesis chapter 48, verse 15. Jacob is praying. According to a Jew, could they pray to an angel? I'm not saying to the Pope or Roman Catholics. I'm saying according to Jews in their scriptures, could they pray to an angel? No, not an angel as a created spirit being. But notice this, Jacob prays to the angel that's been with him. Notice this. Then he blessed Joseph and said, so he's blessing his children. And he says, may the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he singularly bless these boys. Well, we got a problem now here. Either his God is an angel as a created spirit being, and we got some problems, or God can take the name of an angel and not be what we would consider generally an angel, a created being. So which one is it? Is he worshiping a created being known as an angel, praying to a created being known as an angel? Or did the God who is uncreated use the title of angel for himself? He does. Why does he do that? Because the word angel just simply means messenger. When God, and this is very simple to understand, when God would appear and give the prophets messages, guess what he considered himself? A messenger, which is an angel. Why? Because God is giving messages. Does everybody get that? Guess what he considers himself when he gives you a word? The word of the Lord. Some people think when the word of the Lord came to the prophets, it came like this in a flying scroll. Here comes the word of the Lord. No, the word of the Lord is a person. Here comes Jesus to speak to the prophets. In the beginning was the word. So when the word of the Lord came to the prophets, it was Jesus coming to the prophets. When the messenger comes to the prophets, he's the angel. Now it got confusing and where I made my mistake. Here is the mistake. So I'll write it down so you can make sure you can share it with all my frenemies and enemies. Is that I said the only way that Jacob knew that God could be referred to as an angel was by him looking to the past experiences of Abraham and Isaac and Hagar, because in those contexts, he's called an angel. But in his two visitations, the one that's a dream of the stairway to heaven, and then the one where he wrestles with God, it never calls God an angel. That was my mistake. Because in between those two visitations, God comes to him and says, I am the angel. Let me show it to you now. Go with me to Genesis 31, 11 and 13. The references are in our notes. If you want to see the time where he sees the stairway of heaven, that's in Genesis 28, 10 and onward. And if you want to see him wrestling with God, that's in Genesis 32, 22 and onward. But what we have smack dab in the middle, which I should have studied before I went there, because this is where I should have stopped, was at that passage and, went and made sure I had my notes together. But last week, I let that rabbit chase, you know, I chased that rabbit a little bit further than I should have. And I found myself on shaky ground, and then I had to go back and correct myself. So that's the mistake. Do you guys forgive me? Amen. So in between those two visitations, look at how God speaks to him. Bethel, house of God, is the one that came to him prior. It's the one in Genesis 28 where he sees the stairway of heaven. He said, this must be the house of God, okay? Verse 11, who said to him in a dream? Verse 11, the who said to him? Okay, some of you are slow on it. We're going to go to it. Verse 11, highlight it for him, please, in the back. You guys are doing awesome. Thank you. In verse 11, it says, the blank said to me, the angel of God. One more time. Who spoke to him? The angel, the angel of God said to me in the dream. So who is speaking? Angel of God. No trickery, old oh, council of Nicaea in philosophy. You guys changed. No, we didn't change anything. Don't be redonkulous. Don't be a cotton-headed ninny-moggin, okay? Read the Bible and tell me what it says. I was debating a black Hebrew-Israelite that denies the Trinity, and one of his followers got on, and he goes, Hey, man, he's getting you pretty good, man. He's got you. Yeah, he got you pretty good. And then he cut him off the line and hung up on him. I'm being 100% serious with you. Because you can't go to these scriptures without having a conflict unless you believe there's multiple persons sharing the nature of what we call God and Lord and Yahweh. You're going to, oneness doesn't settle the problem, it makes it worse. Polytheism, like Mormons talking about there being multiple gods, that makes it worse. Uh, Jehovah Witnesses, there's a God that's a lesser God, that makes it worse. There's no way to understand this except in what we eventually call the triunity of God. There are three persons in unity of nature. I don't care if you use the word Trinity or not. Well, show me in the Bible the word Trinity. Show me the word Bible in the Bible. It's not even there, right? Scripture, come on. So it's like we're just being ridiculous now. What I will show you is I will show you just like I did here, and I showed them all the time, and they get upset, and they yell, and then they say, I have a demon. So what do the black Hebrew Israelites, oneness, Pentecostals, Satanists, and everybody have in common? They think, oh, I have a demon. <laughs> and disgruntled members think it too. So I think you all have something in common. You all believe I'm demon-possessed because you all lose arguments really bad. Okay? That's a sign of a person argument being dismantled when you got to go to name call, okay? Who is speaking to him in the dream? The blank? The angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, I answered, here I am. He said, look up and see that all the male goats mating with the flock are streaked, speckled, or spotted. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. Verse 13, highlight it for everybody. I am the God of Bethel. Boom. Come on. Where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. This is where... The Lord had to humble me. Hosea the prophet brought this up as well. Go there, please, Hosea chapter 12. Hosea knew this, verses four and five. When he looks back on Jacob's life, he knows to say God is that angel. Just as Jacob prayed in the name of God and in the name of that angel, he knew that Hosea, because of this passage, he, talking about Jacob, struggled with the angel. This is the one he wrestled with and overcame him. He wept and begged for his favor. But I thought he wrestled with God. He said, I saw God face to face. And then when he saw Esau, you remind me of God, right? But now watch. He found him at Bethel and talked with him there. The Lord God Almighty, the Lord is his name. Ah, so the one that was known as the angel is actually God himself. The one that he wrestled and he knew was God, was God himself. And let me now show you the first reference and tie it all together in a nice theological bow by God's grace. Genesis sixteen thirteen, The first reference in Genesis of this angel also being God. Hagar's being mistreated. It was never her fault uh, to have a baby. Then she has a baby. She can't do nothing right. And then now she gets kicked out by, you know, Sarah. And this poor woman is suffering. And God has mercy on her and appears to her. Look at it. Verse 13. So God... Uh, so she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her who spoke to her the Lord now just scroll up just a little bit because that's actually the conclusion of how he speaks to her and blesses her keep scrolling up so you can see him coming to her verse um, 11 gives it to us good but let's start in verse 7 let's start in verse 7 the angel of who the angel of the Lord found Hagar see says the angel of the Lord now go in verse 9 Then the angel of the Lord spoke to her, right? You guys see, this This is the first reference to the angel being God. Not all angels are God. Not all messengers are God. Do you guys get it? Not all basketball players are LeBron. Okay, that's just the way you got to think about it. But there is a basketball player that is LeBron. Not all angels are God, but there is an angel that is God. Can I hear an amen? Okay. Then the angel of the Lord told her all of these wonderful things. Verse 11, then the angel of the Lord. So look at it, just scroll so they can see it. Verse 7, angel of the Lord. Verse 9, angel of the Lord. Verse 11, angel of the Lord. Now scroll down after the blessing. And now who is this angel of the Lord? So she gave this name to who? The Lord who spoke to her. And sometimes people will say, well... This is where you can have a representative. Joe, you can say you spoke to the landlord by a letter through your assistant. No, it gets a little bit uh, more tougher than get around it like that. You know, they try to get around it like that. Let's watch right here. She gave this name. So she's going to now name God. She's going to give God a nickname. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. That's the name she gave God. And it's in Hebrew. It's a cool name. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. So there's no way of saying, well, I saw the representative. I saw saw God's secretary. No, no, no. I saw the one who sees me. That's the nickname I'm giving to my God. You're the God who sees me. Amen? So this is how we know. This is how we know the truth going back to Hebrews now. Going back to Hebrews. Praise God. Making some headway here. I'm so excited about the word. And by the way, this will help you live a holy life. This will help you live a strong life because as you know your God, you will know the morals and character of your God. This is not just mental gymnastics. I am not just trying to trick you to learn theology so you can go around, the, you know, uh, the city and show people your magic trick in the Bible. Look at this. Who's talking to who? I know who it is. I'm so smart, you know. No, no. no. This is the basis of your Christian faith. Let me just show you quickly. Second Peter. Go to 2 Peter, please. This is the basis of your faith. 2 Peter chapter 1, when you learn about all of these things, okay, that you need to add to your faith, start in verse 2, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the what? Knowledge "Knowledge of God. So you've got to know who he is. And of Jesus what? Our Lord. See, Hebrews is teaching us that Jesus is God and Lord. He's that the the author is teaching us that he's like the father in these ways and he's been like with the father and all these other you know And he's done all these things, but he's he's greater than an angel, but he comes to live with us Okay, so your knowledge of him is what increases these things because now look at verse 3 his divine power has given us everything through uh, For a godly not life through our what? Our knowledge of him. So if you want to live a godly life, what must you know? You must know god right? Isn't that why, my brother, and you'll be a witness to this, those oneness Pentecostals were belligerent to us? Were they not? In front of God's people, were they not belligerent? And and here's the thing, people a lot of times like to say, I'm mean and sassy and I can raise my voice, but was I the one shaking and pointing my finger and threatening to these people? Not at all. Why? Because they have the same spirit of the black Hebrew-Israelite. They have the same spirit of the cult member that loses their mind on us. You see, those who don't have the right knowledge of God don't have the right godly life. I'm not saying there's not a time to get passionate and bold when you're preaching, but I'm talking to the level that they were at. It was just basically bears versus packers at that time. Well, I like the bears. Blankety-blank you. I like the packers, you know. You're a oneness. I'm a trinity. blah, 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 you know. No, no, no. We, we don't fight with flesh and blood. And our weapons are not the weapons of this world, but they are powerful to dismantle their arguments, tear down every high and lofty thing. And so what we see is in our knowledge of God, we get a godly life. Isn't that what it says? He has given us everything we need for a godly life. So how many people want to live a godly life? How many want to stop going to no-no websites? How many want to stop doing it, get to know God better? Study Hebrews chapter 1 and focus on God. How many want to stop, you know, threatening each other with divorce and marriage? How many children want to stop being rebellious? Get to know your God. Yeah, it works. What do you mean it works like that? I thought if I wanted to become a better wife, I had to read 10 books by Joyce Myers. That's not what it says, people. That's not what it says. Oh, I thought if, if I was going to be a better person, I had to go to teen mania. If I wanted to be a better teenager, I had to go more teen camps. This is how you become a person that knows your uh, identity, that can live out your Christian life, is when you know your identity, as our brother said, and you have to study where that DNA came from. It came from God, who is the Father, who is the Son, who is the Holy Spirit. Baptize them in this name, the singular name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That name is not Jesus, because Jesus is not the Father, and he's not the Holy Spirit. The name is the name of God, the name of Yahweh. We've heard ever since Exodus when he asked them, what is my name? Amen? And so what you see in that name is the person of the Father, is the person of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, going back to the passage, please. This is why I believe the angel subject is being brought up. Because why even mention, Jesus so much better than angels? Like, why even talk about it like that? Because people were confused. They had not known the scriptures like you just learned. Now, you have a choice in your life to take this knowledge of God And to grow in your life as a Christian and live it out through your promises and purpose and all of these wonderful things. Or you can just forget about it, you know. I suggest that you make this knowledge the basis of your Christian faith. It will help you when you pray. He taught us to pray like this. Our... Father, I pray to, uh, you know, if you're a oneness, I pray to Jesus as the Father, and then at the end, ask it in his name, the Son, and then for the Holy Spirit to come be with me. That sounds like confusion. No, I'm not praying to one guy in three titles. It would be like my son coming up to me. I am asking the Father, who is also the Son, who is the pastor, to do something for me. I would look at him and go, son, are you crazy? Why are you talking to me as if I'm three different persons in one? That doesn't even make any sense. When Jesus said, our Father, he's literally saying our. He's not doing that like a joke. He's literally saying, that's my Father too. Jesus has a Father. His Father has been with him for eternity. And then some people, as I mentioned in first service, now want to say, oh, because Jesus has a Father, he must be less than the Father. He must have came after the Father because on earth, fathers come before sons. How many know fathers come before sons? But hold on. According to the Bible, how long has God been a father? For eternity. And to be a father, what must you have? A son. So the father has been a father only as long as he's had a son. I love asking the cult members that. So how long has he been a father? Of course, the Bible says from eternity. So what is their relationship? The relationship is is that the son is always proceeding from the father And is always serving the Father. That's what they've been doing for eternity. Then when the Father and Son, as it says in Acts and in John, send the Holy Spirit, this shows that from the person of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit proceeds. This has been the divine relationship between them. That's why in the beginning God said, let us make mankind in our image, and he made them as one person, as one person. No, he made them male and female, two persons, and then he said, get it on, procreate, and multiply third person, the child. Now, some people say, well, the father is like our father, and then the son is like a son, a child, then the Holy Spirit must be the mother. We pray to God the mother now. And sometimes people say that the Holy Spirit must be feminine. They point to some um, nouns that can go towards feminine in our languages. And first of all, God is above gender. But the Holy Spirit is also referred to as a he, and he is like the Father and Son. So that's where we leave it. And we never are told to pray to God the mother. It's goofy. Amen? And it's heretical, so don't do that. But if they want to say that where did women's attributes come from? I wouldn't say just the Holy Spirit. I would say the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Spirit who transcend human sexuality have given all that we need in our human experience of male, female, and children. Can I hear an amen? So when God makes us, he says, let us, and then when he makes us, he makes us in plurality. So he is a plural person of one God. And let me just show this to you one time real quick because sometimes people like to bring this up, Deuteronomy 6.4, Deuteronomy 6.4, they say, well, the Bible says, hear, O Israel, the prayer, the Shema of the Jews. Hear, o Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is what? Lord. Now, it's funny where they want to point out that God is one. It's reiterated three times. Lord, God, Lord, Blowed up. <laughs> Why say it three times if he's just one the way you're thinking? Now, you know what that word one means? It means one of something. What is God one of? One of nature. Do you know? Go now to Genesis chapter 2. When he says, when the two come together and they shall be What? One, do you know it's that same Hebrew word? I said, did you know that? Yes or no? Just be honest. If you didn't, go ahead and say you didn't. Okay, you didn't. I'm going to show you here. Go to Genesis chapter 2. Uh, or excuse me. Uh, is it Genesis 2? Let's help me not make another mistake. Not today. Chapter 2. Yes, it is. Verse 24. Go, go, before you go, uh, put up another tab there, Deuteronomy 6.4, because I want to show you that there's no tricks up my sleeve. It's the same exact Hebrew word. Put in Deuteronomy 6.4 and Genesis chapter 2, verse um, 24. Thank you, my brother. Let's just show you what it it is here, okay? Highlight the word one or right-click on it. Right-click on the word one right here. And then you'll see this ball spin for a little bit. You're going to see the the Hebrew word ahad. Everybody say ahad. This is it in the Hebrew. And it's going to appear there at some point. I'm not going to waste my time on it because our computer runs slow. I gave it one. I'm gonna give it one more chance. There it is. There. It is. Right click. Right click. One more time. One more time. There you go. Let's see if we can get it. There it is. Does everybody see it? it says Akad. Okay. Now go to Genesis 2:24. It's the same of one and two becoming one. Haven't you heard that at a wedding ceremony before? Well, does the woman stop being the woman? Does the man stop being the man? No. Put uh, your your mouse right there. Right click on it. Let everybody see it. It's the same Hebrew word. Everybody see Ahad? So one what? When woman and man come together, they become one. What? One family. Does everybody see that? The same one is used of the nation of Israel. How many know there's more than one person in the nation of Israel? One tribe has more than one person in that tribe. So, Achad doesn't necessarily mean one in number singular. It can mean one of what? When it says, "Hero Israel, the Lord thy God, the Lord is one." Okay, is that one person or one nature? One nature. You see, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. Jesus said, we, my Father and I, we are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Does that mean they're, they're the same person? No, they're same in nature. Otherwise, you now have to make all of those other scriptures as God either talking to himself, he's schizophrenic, or he's shape-shifting. Who's now adding things into the scripture that are not there? My God doesn't have to talk to himself. He actually is talking to someone else. Amen. The Lord said to my Lord, and okay, there's just two of you, uh, just one of you here. What's going on, Lord? You know, Lord said to my Lord, and all these things, okay, there's, just, there's just one, okay. You know, the Lord rebuke you, Lord, and you're going to know the Lord Almighty sent me from the Lord, okay, and there's just still one of you, I guess, right? Yeah, and then the baptism was meant to trick you, and it was meant to be spooky, because anybody normally reading the baptism would see the Father as not the Son, Right? How many of you have ever read the baptism narrative and thought to yourself, the Father speaking, saying, this is my beloved Son, the Son being baptized, and the Holy Spirit coming as a dove? It's all the same person, just shape-shifting. Have you ever in your entire time ever read that going, oh, I know exactly what's going on here. This makes perfect sense. Everyone reading that goes, oh, there's a person called the Father. He's up there in heaven. And there's this person here called the Son, and he's here getting baptized. That's pretty cool. And then here comes the Holy Spirit in the form oh, that's. Probably three persons are, And we say they're separate in that they're not the same. They're different persons. But then we say they're one, ahad, and that they are same in nature. Same in nature, different in persons. Amen? That's our best way of understanding that. Now going to Hebrews quickly in closing, we get some application points. If he's not an angel, what is he? This is their dilemma, right? Well, then what is he? Now the author of Hebrews is telling you what I've, you know, by God's grace, been sharing with you. He's sharing with you that he's God's son. But as God's son, he's not a less than. Just like my son is not less human than me. How many know if I'm a human and I have a son, my son is equally human? And then if, like God, he's had a son for as long as he's been a father, which been for eternity, then they've shared in that nature since the beginning, Okay. And so what he's teaching them is this is what you need to know. And I believe this will encourage us, okay? This is what you need to know. At one point in time, Jesus said to the son, you are my son. Today I have become your father. And when would most of us say, and I don't want to trick anybody here, when would most of us say that's when it happened, a time period, we'd go, that's when it happened. Most people would say at his birth. That's not true. Another person would say, oh, it's at his baptism because he said, this is my beloved son. No, when the Psalm 2 verse 7, and if I had time, we'd get into it. When the son is appointed king and now declared as kingly son over the nations, was actually at the resurrection. Go to Acts 13.33. See, Paul understood this. When the father declared him to be his son in the kingly sense. Not his son from nature, from all of eternity. That was declared at the baptism, and yes, even at the incarnation, the promise of Isaiah 9, 6. To us, a a child is born. To us, a son is given. The son is given, but the child is born. The flesh of Jesus is born, but the nature of Jesus has preexisted. You understand? A child is born. A son is given. The son has always been there, Right? But notice what Paul says here. We tell you the good news, what God promised our ancestors. He has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. Everybody say, raising up Jesus. So God, they're speaking of the Father, raises up Jesus. As it is written, you are my son today. Today, at that resurrection, I have become your father. God raised him from the dead so that he'll never be subject to decay. And now we get into this discussion of why does the son take on flesh? He takes on the flesh to die for our sins. Hebrews 1 says he does it for the purification of our sins, which is why I'm trying to prep you for the rest of Hebrews as we go into learning about the priesthood of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ, and all these wonderful things. Listen or read the book of Leviticus, that kind of boring book of the Old Testament, now will come alive in the book of Hebrews. So, why does Jesus take on flesh? To be our high priest, so he can be tempted in all ways, but yet not sin. Isn't that what Hebrews is going to go on and say? Why does he take on flesh? To be that one sacrifice, Hebrews 10 10 and Hebrews 10 14, to be that sacrifice that will sanctify us forever. Amen? He's going to do that for us, not for himself. He was already fully divine before he came. He didn't come to be, he didn't become man so that he could become God. Sometimes people want to look to these new agers and say, look at them. They're so awesome. They're men becoming gods. That's impossible. That's a fool's errand. Jesus is not a man becoming God. He is God becoming man so that he can die and raise us up to be like him. He became what I was so that I could become what he is. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, in him, uh, the Bible says God made him who knew no sin to become the sin offering or sin for us so that in him we might become what? The righteousness of God. So there's a divine exchange happening there. And that's why at his resurrection, he is declared to be God's son. Not that he needed it. Not that he uh, had something lacking in himself. He's doing this for us. And now we go, oh, man, you're you're the son of man. Wow, you're the son of God. You fulfilled the prophecies in Daniel, in Isaiah, these powerful things, even in Zechariah. You're that one. Can I hear an amen? Amen. And so he says to them, these promises are being fulfilled. Go up just a little bit more for me, please, so we can continue on. Just keep on scrolling up. So notice here, he says, I will uh, go up a little bit more, please. Thank you. So he says, you are my son. Today I've become your father. Now he repeats it again. I will be his father, and he will be my son. Now, where is that coming from? That's coming in the life of David through Samuel and Chronicle, uh, Chronicles there. That's coming what David was a shadow of, Jesus now fulfills. If you were really thirsty, what would you want? The water bottle or the shadow here of the water bottle? If you needed some money, would you want the money or the shadow of the money? So why is Jesus called the son of David? He's called the son of David because he's going to do what David couldn't do. He's going to be our everlasting king. But what is he also called? He's not just called in the prophecies the son of David. He's also called the root of David. He's called not only the offspring of David, but he's also called the root of David. Go to Isaiah 61 quickly, please. We see that he's also the beginning and the end of David. He's not just the, um, oh, no, it's not going to be there. Look that up for me, please. Which one? Go to 53. Thank you, my brother. That's a good one. Isaiah 53, Isaiah 61 is what he does there. This is, uh, he grew up as a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. No, I want to show where it says he's the, um, he is the root of David. Look that up for me, please, wherever Joe B. went, when I need him most. Somebody get it for me. He's the root of David. It's in Isaiah. But this is good, Isaiah 53. Let's go to Isaiah 11. Let's not guess anymore. This will be my last one for a guess. Otherwise, just give me one of my Bible guys. Oh, there it is. Let's, who said Isaiah 11? You're a man. Come on, let's give it up for him. Yeah. There we go. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots a branch will bear. So notice this right here. A shoot will come up from the stumps of Jesse, and from his roots a branch will bear. So now when we look to this, and it should say here, um, uh, go to Jesse here at X. It should give us the Revelation corresponding passage where he says, I'm the root and the offspring of David. So go to the X next to Jesse there for me, please. Does it say, yeah, Revelation 5, 5. Go there quickly. I'm not going to allow myself to go down this rabbit trail too long here, okay? But now notice this. It says, uh, do not weep. See, the line of tribe of Judah, the what of David? The root of David has triumphed. So he's not just the offspring of David, he's the root. But why is it important that he's the offspring? Hebrews is telling us because he has to take on flesh. What Adam and Eve lost in the flesh, known as the first Adam, the second Adam is going to redeem in the flesh, amen? All right, let's keep going. That's pretty basic. I'm glad that we're getting it now. Going back to our notes. So we're told twice that he's God's son. That's what the Hebrew author is saying. Now notice what happens right here. This is why I love showing people this passage who don't believe in the deity of Christ. I'm like, you guys worship a bunch of gods then. Because if Jesus is not equal to deity, you're breaking the first commandment here, having no gods before our God. Because again, God brings his firstborn son into the world. And what does he say? Let all the angels what? Worship him. Can you worship someone any other than God? No, so we're now worshipping the sun. And then what people try to do is they try to play with this word, you know, pronescuo you know, uh, uh, or something here, and you can look it up in the Greek. They try to say, well, it could also mean serve. So it just means we're going to serve. It doesn't mean like we're going to give God worship, uh, uh, give the Son worship like we do God. Uh, but you know what? You follow that word throughout the Old Testament. It's given to these people that we've been learning about, the two known as Lord, the ones that are called God that are coming into the context of these scriptures. And so this is not just they're going to serve. These angels are just going to serve the son. No, they're going to worship the son. And isn't that what we see at his birth? You know, as he's born, the angels give worship to God on his behalf. Amen. Amen. And isn't that what we see people doing throughout his life? They bow down and worship him. Even as my brother pointed out before, we were looking at my Lord and my God. He went to the Thomas confession. Thomas falls down and says, my Lord and my God, they worship him. Not only angels, but people worship him. Now, he goes on, let's keep going here, to verse 7, and speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants, uh, and his servants flames of fire. And you have to see that in Septuagint that's why I have the LXX there, if you look it up in any English version other than that, you're not going to find it. So it shows that the author of Hebrews is going to be primarily quoting out of a certain version of the Old Testament. But notice now he distinguishes this, angels worship him, angels worship him and they what? Serve him. Now you know why angels serve us, because we bear his name. But you're not supposed to go try to know your angel. How many have ever heard about people talking to their guardian angel, asking about their guardian Don't do that. You're just going to meet something that's called a fallen angel, okay? You'll, you'll, you'll get an answer to that prayer, but it's not going to be the right kind of answer that you want. Well, I saw something on TV that said I can ask my guardian angel, you know? And then you see some demon. Bob, go down there and pretend you're their guardian angel for a little bit. Okay, you know? Hey, I'm your guardian angel, and I want to tell you that you're one with nature, and you can smoke pot, and you can do all these other things, and I'm your guardian angel, and there's not a hell, you know. How many people hear these stories from these new agers? They're talking to these people, all the, these, these beings all the time. But you know what? All you have to do is say, hey, just, 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 just do me a favor, do me a favor. Call over your angel when I'm over sometime. I want to talk to your angel. In the name of Jesus, I cast you out. You'll see that angel make some noises and screeches and sounds you've never heard before, you know? It's like what you are afraid of on Halloween, we cast out in Jesus' name. Amen? So go call that angel over here. Wink, wink. We're going to talk to it a little bit. And I remember tire card readers telling me that when I was in New Orleans, when I'd be by them. They'd say, get away from me. I can't, I can't hear stuff in the spirit world when you're by me. Because our God is, is greater as is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Amen. And, and when we were dealing with some witches online and they uh, started coming onto our live feed, even saying gross things like they offer their period as blood sacrifice to their demon gods, they always say it started off like a guardian angel, some sweet little fairy spirit, and now the thing is tormenting them and they can't get out of it. And we had to pray deliverance for them. So we know that uh, you don't want to try to make contact with these beings, but they serve Jesus. And because you have Jesus on your side, they will serve you. They are assigned to you. But you pray to Jesus. You pray to the Father in Jesus' name, and he'll do the work of sending them. Amen. Now, when we get to verse 8, he says, but about the sun, your throne, O God, this is what he says, your throne, O God, will last forever. Now that you have gone through all of these passages with me, is it strange to hear God say to another person, your throne, God, will last forever? Is that strange to you now? It shouldn't be. Because you're familiar with the context of these persons talking to each other with the big title of Lord and God. They are okay with calling each other that. So the fact that the father is okay with calling the son God, I'm okay with that, right? And the very fact that Jesus calls him the Father God, I'm okay with calling the Father God, right? And the Holy Spirit is referenced as God throughout the Bible as well. In the book of Acts, they consider the Holy Spirit God. And so we should feel comfortable saying there's not three gods, but there's one God, and that one God comes in these three persons and shows us who he is and has relationship with us. So what are we supposed to learn now about Jesus from the Father calling him God? Well, the first thing is he has a throne. The Son has a throne. Now, if I was to ask you, how many thrones are there in heaven? Some people say, there's two thrones. There's not. Go to Revelation chapter 22. The Bible says there is one throne. Just like there is one name that they share, Yahweh, there is one throne. Every time you hear about Jesus sitting somewhere, it's always at the right hand, right? But it's on the same throne. Now, I've had some people mock me and be like, is that one of those thrones like those chairs at the Halloween or Thanksgiving farm places? where your whole family can sit on one. And so here's Papa God and Jesus God and they're all sitting together and all that. I don't know, but why not? <laughs> Who says there can't be? I have a big chair uh, uh, that they, put up the picture for me that my wife put on her Facebook. If I can go to the, to the Halloween Thanksgiving fair place, that farm type place, and, and see one chair that can fit me and my whole eight family, why can't they all sit there together? Amen. But how many know God is more than just matter, space, and time? Like the Son, he, he's, he's a body. The Father's only a spirit. The, son, the Spirit's only a spirit. But how many know Jesus, though he's, a, he's a, a body? You know, he took that body and he really raised it up. How many know he's still omnipresent? He can be everywhere at the same time. So they can sit all together and take the same amount of space. I don't think there's any contradiction there, okay? I'll read the Scripture, and then we'll look at this uh, silly picture. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. Who do we believe the river of the water of life is? The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, out of your inmost being shall flow what? Waters, rivers of living water, right? That's the Holy Spirit. He said this he spake of the Spirit, as clear as crystal, flowing from where? The throne. Does it say thrones? No, the throne of what? Of God and of what? The Lamb, thank you, down the middle of the great street of the city. Do you have that picture up, my brother? You're getting it? Thank you. So how does one throne get shared by three persons? I don't know but I know there's only one throne, and I know they're all there. Father, Son, or in this case, God, His Lamb, and the Holy Spirit. Now, once again, you have a choice whether or not you believe that. That's how I believe heaven looks like. I don't believe the Father and Son are sitting on each other's lap, though they could be, because like I said, they're all spirit in one sense or another, and they're all powerful. They could do things that blow our mind. Amen? The throne could be the size of this entire planet, right? Couldn't the throne be that big? And then they could just... Show themselves in that one space at that one time. They could do whatever they want. As a matter of fact, doesn't the Bible say the earth is the footstool of the Lord? Mother Nature, Mother Nature. Hey, listen. Hey, listen. Those of you who like Mother Nature, I know who, who Mother's father is. And this is what this is what the father said about Mother Nature. You're my footstool. Boop, boop, I put my feet right on top of you. Now, this is my beautiful family. Can everybody say, Ah. Now, if there's enough room for them to sit there, how come the Father and Son can't sit there together with the Holy Spirit flowing out? Amen? Let's go in back. So what do we learn? There's a throne. He's God, the Son, and he's sitting on it. How long does that throne last? Forever and ever. What does he have there? He has a scepter of justice. You know what I like to call the scepter because sometimes I think we get a little confused. We get like, like all spooky with this. Think of like a baseball bat. He has a baseball bat of justice. You are not going to mess with this king. Sometimes we just think of a scepter like, like what the Pope is carrying around. You know, it's all gold-plated, and if you ever hit it on something, it would just shatter into some pieces. No, like this is like Thanos' glove. You understand? Dude, he has literally, at this time, think about this. He has literally, when this is established on earth, he has literally killed over 100 million at the Battle of Armageddon. The, the blood has been as high as a horse's head for over 100 miles. So don't think to yourself, this is the puny God of Roman Catholicism, the white blonde here, Jesus, and he's got a little scepter like the Pope, and he's hanging out up there. I think like the, the, the greatest imagination we can ever use, you know, like how people have described Zeus, in other, other words, you know, he's got lightning bolts at his hand or so forth. The scepter of God is powerful, amen? A scepter of justice will be over your kingdom. You've loved righteousness, you hated wickedness, therefore God... Your God has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. This is how I know the Father and Son are not the same people. Can you appoint yourself to something and it be legitimate? No, you can't. I've appointed myself king of America. I've appointed myself. I just did it. I appointed myself. Now, the Bible says he swears by himself in that way, and he can, and God doesn't need another witness. But in the Bible, God says of the son, he appoints him to this. So we're learning that he doesn't just make himself even king, though he could all by himself. He actually does it through his son. The father says, I will appoint the son. And how is it fair? Because the Son, and let me just say this real quick, fairness comes from God. We wouldn't know it without Him. But uh, how does He do it? By becoming just like us and not sinning. He does what Adam and Eve didn't do. So is it fair that the Son is now our King? Absolutely. He's been our creator the whole time. But now that He's incarnated in flesh, what did He do that Adam, the first Adam, did it? He loved righteousness and hated wickedness. What should Adam have done to that uh, that, that snake in the garden? He should have took him right by the head and said, you liar, stop talking it to my wife, pushing down his stomp on him and go, okay, let's go on now to be fruitful and multiply. But because he didn't, what did the father do? He sent the son to do it. And so now what has happened? He's anointed with the oil of joy. Just a few more, please, here in closing. Look at verse 10. In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth. See, this is the Yahweh of the Bible who creates all things, right? But he's saying, the father is saying of the son, you did this. See, when the father speaks, the Son enacts, and the Holy Spirit listens. God said through the word, Jesus, let there be light, and the Holy Spirit turned on the light switch. I believe in the big bang. I just know who what? Bang. Banged it. Jesus, uh, the Father spoke, and what? Bang, it happened. Through Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he said, the, work of the, uh, the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. The garment, they're like, you know, like a garment, they'll be changed, but you remain the same and your years will never end. Okay, so everybody get this. Because Jesus has a resurrected body, he can no longer die in the flesh. But could he die when he was on the earth? Yes, because he had flesh like us, right? But now that it's been perfect, uh, because it was perfect and it was a sacrifice, now that it's been raised, can it ever die? No. And guess what? Because he lives, so shall I. Because he was raised, so will you be raised. You see, the promise of our resurrection body is in the eternal body now that Jesus has taken upon himself. The transfusion of our life comes through his earthly body. The connection point for us to have a resurrection is his body remaining forever. If Jesus would ever take off that body, we would remain disembodied spirits. But the very fact that Jesus keeps a body gives the life force, the God-nature, the God-like nature, the God-life to us so that we can participate in the divine nature for all of eternity. How many want Jesus to keep his flesh around for a little while? Amen. He's going to keep it forever. He's never going to change it. Sometimes people say he was raised only as a spirit. No, he was raised in the flesh, and he's keeping that flesh. He says, I'm not a ghost. He says, this is who I am. Touch me, and you can see that a ghost doesn't have these things. But I'm flesh and bone, not flesh and blood. He is now flesh and bone. I don't, this is my personal opinion. I don't think there's blood in the kingdom. I think there's glory, and it flows through your veins. I think it was the glory flowing through Adam and Eve that let them know they were not naked because it shined and radiated all around them. X-Men now call it, uh, what, plasma, or uh, what did the Hulk get? What did he touch? What's that that substance that he touches? Gamma rays. Yeah, you're. Some of the young people woke up right there. Gamma rays, pastor. Gamma rays, man. And then they glow and they have all this like you know like toxic stuff and all this but I, I believe we had glory I believe we had the substance of glory in our bodies and when we sinned we actually lost the substance of glory and that's why the body was then recognized as naked it's like I could see this light but I don't see the the actual glass of the light the light itself blinds me from seeing the actual uh, translucent glass does everybody get that? but if you shut off the light, now I can see the glass and the name on their Phillips etc I believe we had glory in us we lost the glory now the glory is brought back I believe the robes that are white and all that are the glory of God you can think you wear Armani in heaven but I think I wear glory amen look at your neighbor and say you look good come on look at your neighbor and say you look good now but you're gonna look better with glory oh you're gonna look better when you got glory on your sister get some glory okay here we go so listen You will roll them up like a robe, so the world will change, but he's not going to change, okay? Now, here we go. Here are our last two quickly. He then says, what do the angels, what one of the angels did he ever say? Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. This is Jesus getting authority over all the nations. Why do we need him to have the authority? Some people ask this. They say, well, if he was God, doesn't God already have the authority? And we're like, yeah, he does. Then they'll say, well, why does he now get authority? God can't have, uh, uh, you know, lose authority. If he's always had it, then why are you giving it back to him? Do you guys get the objection? Ten more minutes to explain the objection. Daryl, come play soft music so they don't get bored. People will say this. Let me make sure I'm not confusing you with myself here. People will say, didn't Jesus, before he was incarnated, have authority? And you would all say yes. He had authority to judge Sodom and Gomorrah, didn't he? The Lord on earth with the Lord in, in heaven, right? Okay. Doesn't he have authority? While he's on earth, seems like he does. But now watch. It says he's now given all authority at this specific time, the resurrection, which we know now, right? And he says to his disciples after the resurrection, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. So people now say, well, that's a sign that he's not God. Because something had to be given to him that he didn't have, right? Well, what's the problem in that thinking? Is that he did it for us as a man man had lost the authority so who needed authority back man so he came as a man the son of man does everybody get that see i don't want to take 10 minutes but if you get it now right i mean i don't think i need it but this is important to understand because he already said i saw satan fall like lightning doesn't he say that on earth so he's got authority like we know he's not just an ordinary type of person he calms the wind and the waves right like who does that except god right Those are all signs and symbols of what God did through the Exodus, by the way, okay? All of those plagues and all of those things are seen through the way Jesus lives on the earth as the demons were cast out went into the sea that's like pharaoh's army as he commands winds and waves that's like the parting of the red sea okay as there was destruction over the firstborn of of the death angel god now is raising up children he's now giving life he's not bringing judgment so i could show you there's either exact one-to-one comparisons or there's flipping of the tide uh, of the flipping of the story and so you're supposed to see jesus is the same one in the exodus story But he's fulfilling things and he's changing things. You're supposed to see it as a greater exodus, as a new fulfillment of these things, okay? But why does he now need the power and authority given to him? Why does he need his father to say, hey, man, sit here until I take care of all the trash on earth and take it out and give you back a clean earth? Which a lot of people say, well, I wish God would just rid the world with evil. Well, he would have to take you out with the trash too, right? So you better get saved first, amen? Because if he's coming back to judge and you're not right, you're getting thrown out. So God comes to change our hearts before he changes the world. Amen? Why is this important? Because he became a man. He is the God of man. When he took on flesh, he is getting what we lost. This is now why we always pray in his name. He has authority over demons, and that's why we pray in that name, because the God-man casts out demons. Because of Jesus, I can cast out demons. I'm now what? More than a conqueror. What's that? The one who doesn't have to fight but gets the reward of the one who did. You didn't have to win the battle at the cross. He did, and now he gives you the spoils, does he not? He gives you the victory to have what he had to pay his life for. And so when it says, sit here until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet, that's where now we as the church are going out and discipling the nations in his name. Our job as the church is to win these souls and to give them to the Father in Jesus' name, fulfilling the promise of all nations coming before him. And not all of them will be saved. We're not universalists, but we believe out of every nation, tribe, and, and, and tongue and language, there will be believers around that throne, all giving glory to God. The death, the death will be the last thing defeated at the resurrection. And then, those of us who have been there, for, you know, who have come there from all these nations, tribes, and then languages, we will be a fulfillment of this promise. All of Jesus' enemies have been defeated that he took on because of us. And here we now share an eternity with him. And so his last thought on this is, hey guys, aren't just angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who inherit salvation? That's all they really are. But that's not what Jesus is. Jesus is God like the Father. Amen. Can we give it up for Jesus today? Amen. Would you stand up please? Band and altar workers, would you come? Thank you for your patience. I didn't feel like we needed a part four. That's why I tried to push it all together. I hope that whatever extra time was spent today, you guys were blessed. Amen. Come ready next week by reading chapter 2 for second service. We're going to get into the ways that Jesus fulfills priesthood and sacrifice. But now let's make it applicable to our lives. How many need somebody in their life that's greater than an angel to empower them? to go through this world and fight against the temptation, fight against the devil, right? Because even the angel Michael, when he came to fight against the devil for the bones of Moses, what did he say? The Lord rebuke you. How many need the Lord on your side today? How many need someone to fight your enemies for you and put them under your feet? You need Jesus. How many today believe that if God is with you, no one can stand against you? That whatever you face in this life has already been, listen, not will be, has already been put under the feet of Jesus. The Bible says stand in the victory that Jesus gave you and having done all that you can to stand. Father, we pray today that we'll stand our ground in you. You are the God-man who came to be our king. You are the root and the offspring of David. With every head bowed and eyes closed, if you yet don't know Jesus, would you ask him to be the Lord of your life? You've learned so much about him today. Now make him the Lord of your life. Repent of your sins and say, I believe you were crucified, buried, rose again for my salvation. You're my king. The Bible says every tongue will confess that at one point, but it's only those who do it now by faith who will be saved. A few moments can change your life right now. For those of us who are already Christians, would you thank the Lord for being the purification of our sins? The Lord sent the Lord. Amen? The Lord sent the Lord for us. I thank God that I'm forgiven. He didn't send an angel. He didn't send a prophet. He himself provided the lamb. Hallelujah. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is my provider. I thank you, God, today that I lack no good thing, that you are my righteousness, Jehovah Shikanoot, Jehovah Micodesh. You're my sanctifier. You're all that I need today. You're my rohi. You're my shepherd. Christians, would you thank him before you go, before you go into the harvest field? I know many are going to be preaching this week. Would you thank him? And then now, lastly, if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit speaking in other tongues, would you ask them to baptize you right now so that you could do the work of ministry? Those who are already baptized in the Spirit, would you ask the Lord to give you a fresh and filling so that you can be sent out to preach the gospel? You don't know who you're going to meet this week. You might meet oneness Pentecostals. You might meet people who are demon-possessed. You might meet Muslims. It doesn't matter. But if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to be a witness. We're going to dismiss in just a moment. If any of those prayers are for you, come on up. Or for anything else, we'll pray for healing or the struggles of your life. But I want to encourage you, as, 1 Peter, as 2 Peter says, that through your knowledge of him, you will participate in the divine nature. Through your knowledge of God today, you will see God change your life. Father, I thank you today that you're more than just a doctrine, that you're more than just a principle or a way we look at things, that you are the Father who sent the Son who gave us the Holy Spirit. I thank you today that you are our life. You are the air we breathe. In you we live and move and have our being. I thank you that nothing is too great for you. Whatever struggle, whatever test we face this this day or this in our life, Lord, you're going to give us a testimony of your great, amazing power. I pray as we get ready to leave from this place but not your presence. You will help us to preach this message everywhere we go, to come back next week with more friends and family, to fill up these life groups, to see these high schools change, these college campuses, the streets of our city, oh God. For your glory. For your glory. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Can you bless them saints one more time? Isn't he worthy? Blessed the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Have a great week. We love you. Please feel free to come up for prayer. If you want to hang out, you can do so as well. We're going to worship, man. You got a good...